well that you'd be with the time that we'll spend together in your word. Please open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. Please give, uh, please grant clarity on my part and boldness and um, compassion. All of the things that are necessary, Lord God, to communicate your word well. And um, we just know that without your Holy Spirit, nothing gets accomplished that's worthwhile. So come come, join us, Lord, if you will, in this time, and um, we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this morning is going to be a little bit unique. I'd like to invite you to uh, Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles. Romans chapter number 12. It's rare that, uh, it's rare for me, maybe not for some people, but it's rare for me that the Lord does this. I was uh, working this week, studying, preparing, and on Thursday, I finished my message for Sunday, Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 3 through 11, which is what everybody expected, and uh, it's what we were, where we were going and where I felt like we were going to go. And, and then on Thursday afternoon, the Lord just began to work on my heart um, just to give me a burden for where we're at right now as a culture, as a people, as God's church, as it relates to all the things that are going on around us. And uh, so God began to work on me with this burden, and I just felt like I needed to share some things this morning from Scripture um, just to give us some guidance, and, and, and as best as I can, as best as I can do, uh, to give us guidance in, in some of these different things that we're dealing with, some of the challenges, and to see some things from scriptures that might be helpful for us as we are on this journey, and uh, as we face the challenges that we face, as we are um, facing fears, uh, we're facing the temptation to worry. We're facing the temptation to anxiety, to, um, to living life uh, um, in, with reservations. In other words, not the freedom and the boldness that uh, we normally would live with, but living in, in, in ways where there's, where there's fear. Fear is kind of dominating the decisions that we make. You kind of you walk out of your house, and it's not thinking about how boldly can I live for the Lord, but it's like, okay, how many ways, how many things can I do to prevent myself from experiencing these fears? And I just want to give you some thoughts, some, some things I think that God um, presents to us in his word that will just help you. And I, and I, and I hope help, challenge. I, I'm not here to say to you to be foolish uh, because the Lord, uh, in the Lord's temptation, he says we should not tempt the Lord God. It means don't be foolish. Don't don't, don't go out and jump off of a building because you think the Lord's going to give you wings to fly, all right, because he won't. You say, well, maybe it's not my time to die. Well, it would be, okay? It would become God's sovereign timing for you to die when you hit the ground. And so you don't, you don't, you don't want to tempt the Lord God, but, but nor do we want to live in fear. That, that is, I was thinking this week, I was thinking, you know what? What, what are we as Christians doing during this crisis that the world would say, wow, they're so, they're so confident in their God? What, what, what is something that's unique about how we're acting that the world would look at us and say, man, I want to be a part of that? 
I want to have that boldness. I want to have that confidence. I want to have that strength that comes only from the Lord. And, and, I, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what your answer would be. I don't know what my answer would be. I just know that there's some things in God's Word, I think, that we, we maybe need to, to re-embrace. We need to be reminded of that is going to be helpful for us. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get started with my sermon. What if things in the world today were to get so bad? What if all at once there was an outbreak, an extreme outbreak of famine, disease, pestilence, sin, war, violence, rioting? What if there was an outbreak all at one time of all of these things? You say, Pastor John, it doesn't take much of an imagination to think about that and to consider that. The reason why is because that's where we're living today. There is an outbreak of all of these things taking place around us at this very moment in this, very, in this given time. What if this outbreak became so worldwide and so extraordinary? I mean, beyond what we can imagine, beyond the coronavirus, beyond the rioting, beyond the wars that are taking place, what if this, what if this outbreak was so severe beyond everything and anything that we could ever imagine. It got so bad that God himself decided to quarantine himself. What if things got so bad that God himself decided, I'm no longer going to interact with the world, because what if, in some extraordinary way, they infect me? What if this is so horrible and so bad that, I, that God needs to protect himself from po- possibly being impacted by this outbreak of all of this chaos? Now, I would expect some of you to, to be laughing inside right now at that statement. I would think that you would laugh or think it funny for God to ever think it's the right time to quarantine himself, right? Can I get an amen? amen. All right. You, I would think that it would be funny to think about God quarantining himself. You, you might even go as far as to say, if the world is in such chaos, if, if the world is in such disarray, if there is so much famine and disease and war and sin and and, and pestilence, if there's so much of this, this is the perfect time for God to make himself known, right? Would you guys say that in that moment, God is more needed than he's ever been before? When everything is falling apart, do we think it's time for God to quarantine himself? Or do we think it's time for God to reveal himself? You guys talk to me. We're outside. We can talk. It's, it's, it's time for God to reveal himself. And we would all agree and we would all be right that in this moment of outbreak, God would be needed more than he's ever been needed before. God would be, would be, would be um, expected more than he's ever been, ever been expected before. However, if you and I understand the church properly, If we understand that we are the only representations of God in this world today, we are quarantining God 
We are in danger of quarantining God in the most necessary and needed time for the world to see God. And he will not see God, and the world will not see God. They'll not experience his power. They'll not experience his might. They'll not experience his deliverance, lest it come through his church. The devil is working a masterful program not of us wearing masks. I don't think the, the risk of us wearing masks, that we can worship God and serve God and, and honor God with mask on or with mask off. But listen, to quarantine God, to put ourselves outside of this world and the influence that we have in this world is to, is to, is to take God out of a situation that he is most needed in. If all, of, if all of we as Christians stay at home and we don't get out and influence and impact the way people are thinking and exude the confidence of God in difficult and challenging circumstances, the world has nothing to hope in and nothing to believe in. We must, we must understand and recognize what our calling is. We must understand who we are. I mean, I would love it if God would just kind of split the skies and come down and just walk amongst us. But listen, that's what we are. That is what you are. That is what I am. We are walking amongst the people of this world, and we are meant to represent God to them. Listen, when you signed off to be a Christian, that's what you signed off to do. You signed off as a representation of, of God to the world around you. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say this to you. You didn't sign off when you became a Christian to represent God in the good times, but not the bad times. The Apostle Paul and the disciples, they walked each day expecting to die. Each day they walked, they went to their different ministries. Jesus walked on the earth knowing that death was the ultimate end. They walked boldly. They walked confidently for the Lord, knowing that it wasn't going to be easy. They were stoned. They were uh, uh, beaten. They, Hebrews 11, what we, just went, what we just studied, they went through all of that to represent God well in this world. And I want to give you some things I think that will be helpful for all of us. As we think about the fact the world needs God. Amen? And you are there. You are the messenger. You are the representative. You are the one who shows them who he is. Let me give you some thoughts here. From Romans 12 to begin with, we're going to look at uh, two or three texts. And all I'm going to do is unpack these, unfold these for you. The Apostle Paul writes here, in, or to Rome, the place where ultimately he would be beheaded. It was a horrible place, uh, dangers and risks everywhere, um, fear of death um, all around, especially for Christians. And this was not a safe place for them. This was not a safe place for them. So you've got to get that. You've got to understand that in order to embrace what's going on and how that they respond. He says, I beseech you or I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may prove or discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I'm going to walk through these. If you're taking notes, you're welcome to just jot down. I'm not going to give a lot of thought on each one, but a little. Number one, 
the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The first thing that happens in this text is a calling of togetherness. This is the word um, in the Greek that uh, carries with it the idea of a partnership, a, a calling together. It's a, it's a form of the word that we get when we think of the word um, for the Holy Spirit. Uh, paraclete is the word we get for the Holy Spirit. And here is a form of that word that is to, to come together, to draw together. So the Apostle Paul is, is bringing together the church those who are going to support him, those who are going to encourage him, those who are going to walk with him through this difficult time. So we understand that there's an appeal immediately for the church to come together. It's a, it's a summons of togetherness. And there's not a more important time than today for the church to be unified and united. Amen? There's not a more important time than in this time of difficulty and challenges. But at the same time, is it not interesting that what the devil is doing is he is dividing the church? He is separating the church. He is putting obstacles and, and, and uh, making adversaries amongst the people of God. It's what he's doing, isn't it? He's splitting the church right down the middle to prevent us from coming together and being supportive of each other. The first thing that he does is he calls them together. Hebrews 10.25 says, I'm going to turn there. He says in Hebrews 10.25, he says, Do not neglect to meet together. Do not neglect the meeting of the, uh, of the meeting together of the church as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Somebody said to me this morning, just in conversation, the Lord's return is close. How do we know the Lord's re- How do we know, or why do we think the Lord's return is close in these moments? Why do we think that? Is it not because the Bible tells us that in the last days, this is exactly what's going to happen? Can we not conclude that we're closer to the Lord's return than we were yesterday? So the question is, should we take the dwelling or the community of the church more seriously today or less seriously today? A hundred years ago, how many days of the week did they meet for church? A hundred years ago. A lot, right? Two thousand years ago, how many days of the week did they meet to to, to worship? Every day. So are we moving in the right direction by saying, and it's not just that we don't don't meet every day. We've got a a lot of stuff going on. The issue isn't that we don't meet every day. The issue is, is the attitude towards the coming together. It's like when the church meets together, it should never be taken lightly, and it should never be taken lightly, especially in light of the times that we're living in. There is no more important time than for us to be together than it is in time of crisis so that we can come together and we can encourage each other, we can lift each other up so that you and I can go out into this world and reflect on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So it is initially an appeal. Come together, church. Let's summon ourselves together so that we might do and be what we ought to be. Number two, he says, I beseech you or I, 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 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, speaking about brothers or believers, by the mercies of God. Number two is acknowledge mercy as the basis for all of life. 
Acknowledge mercy as the basis for all of life. Listen to me. This is so important. Every breath that you breathe is undeserved. Every time your heart beats is undeserved. It is a sovereign act of Almighty God to keep you living. We believe that, don't we? We believe that theologically. But do we believe that practically? Do we believe that everything that I do and every goodness and every, every breath and, every, and, and the air that I breathe and the, my heart beating is a mercy from God? It is an undeserved favor. The reality of it is, is what I would deserve is for my heart to stop in this moment. If God were to give John Prettyman what he deserved, I would fall over right in front of you this morning and be dead. True? If I got what I deserved, you guys, I'm not a good person. I'm a redeemed person. I'm a saved person by the grace and mercy of Almighty God. But if I got what I deserve based upon my sin, I would die in front of you. If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we have to realize, we have to accept and acknowledge that every breath is a mercy from God. It is a mercy that God gives us. It's undeserved favor. Every moment, every breath, every heartbeat is an undeserved gift from God. Once we forget mercy, we enter into a self-protective mode that often keeps us from accomplishing what God has called, has called us to accomplish. Number three, by the mercies of God, the basis is to understand that your life is built on the mercies of God. It's not built upon what you deserve. It's not built upon what you um, what you merit is not built upon how well you protect yourself. It's built on the mercies of God. Number three, that you present your bodies, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. This is the third point. Present yourself as a sacrifice that is living. That's what this term means. It means to present yourself as a sacrifice. What do we know about sacrifices? Two things that are always associated with sacrifices. Number one is suffering. Suffering is always associated with sacrifice, right? Number two is, is death. Two things always associated with sacrifice. So he says this, present your bodies as a sacrifice. So someone who understands suffering and somebody who understands death, right? That is living, that's what it means. Present yourself as a sacrifice that is alive. Someone who understands suffering and death. They have suffered and died with Christ. How many of us who are believers have suffered and died with Christ? How many? All of us, theologically. Right? It's not practical. It's not real. No, no, it is real. It, it is true. It is practical. It does affect us in how we live our lives. We're to present ourselves to God as a sacrifice, somebody who has experienced suffering, true and real suffering, and somebody who has died. If you have died, where do you fear dying? That's what the Apostle Paul's message is in the New Testament. I have already died, so I don't fear dying anymore. I'm not afraid of it. Have you guys ever heard the testimony of somebody who, who came maybe this close to dying and then for some miraculous reason they didn't die? 
Anybody ever heard a testimony like that? You ever heard about this, the vigor to life that they have after they have been given a second, a second uh, lot or whatever, a second, um, a second life, if you will? The vigor that they think, wow, this is a gift. I've been given a second chance. I didn't die, and I should have died. Think about it from this perspective. How about somebody who has died and been risen from the dead, which is what we all claim, right? That's what we claim to be true about us. We should be living life with a vigor. We have never to fear death again. We don't ever have to fear death again. Is, it, is that true? Is that true? For a Christian, it is. The Lord says we should be able to give, an, to give an account to be able to tell people of the hope that lies within us. Well, what hope are you talking about? It's the hope of not having to worry about dying. It's the hope that we have. I wonder sometimes if our life is a, isn't, a, isn't a testament to somebody who has died and is resurrected, but more to somebody who is trying to avoid dying with all of their heart. You'll never live life freely. You'll never live life boldly. You'll never live life totally to the fullest of, its, of, of what you're capable of until you acknowledge this reality, that you have died with Christ and that you are living by grace. Let me read some verses to you. Paul says in Philippians 1.22, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is, is gain. Mark 8, 34 through 35 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which is a picture of what? A cross is a picture of what? It's a picture of death. He says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would seek to save his life will, will lose it. But whoever will give up his life for my sake, Christ speaking, and the Gospels will, will save it. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died. What, what a powerful f- first phrase, right? For you have died. Let me say this to you. If this first phrase doesn't imp- apply to you, then the last part of it doesn't apply to you either. Okay? So I'm going to read the rest, but I want to make that statement first. Have you died? Have you died? For if you have died, then your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul is making a statement of fact. I died with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I heard a quote recently that said, A believer is immortal until God is done with him. A believer is immortal until God is done with him. And again, it doesn't mean that we be foolish. It means that we be bold. It means that we walk through life with confidence, with a hope inside of us that is unique from this world. Let's go on to verse number two. 
important truths here. In order to give your in order to be a sacrifice that is living, you have to put the right things into your mind. Okay? Watch what he says. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay? Do not be, here's what this means. It means do not be pressed into the world's mold. You ever had something that was a mold? Um, if, we had, if Kurt was here, we would use him as an example, but he's not. But you press something into a mold, right? You want it to, you want it to take on the mold that you have made, and you press something into it. And, and you press and you press and you press until you get it into that mold, right? When it says do not be conformed to this world, the idea of it is, is do not be pressed into the mold of this world. Do not be pressed into the thinking of this world. Do not be pressed into the ideology of this world. Do not be pressed into their way of thinking. And you say, well, what is it that's going to press me into that? This is what's going to press you into that. This kind of stuff is what presses us. It is the thing that puts pressure on us. Do not be pressed into the ideology of this world. Do not be... Do not allow yourself to be pressed into the world's narrative. There is a narrative that's going on today that is clearly a worldly narrative. This narrative is not evil, it's not wicked, but it's not biblical. The reason why the worldly narrative is so easy to adopt today is because it's not evil and it's not wicked. What makes it wrong is that it's not a biblical narrative. Where are we getting our narrative from? I can't tell you when, how, many, how many times I talk to people about this and that that's going on in our world today. And what, what, what comes out of their mouth is a news report. What's writing their narrative? What's writing their narrative? The media is writing their narrative. And this is why we are fearful this is why we are so fearful, because we have, we're being inundated with a, with a fearful perspective on all of this. I, I, can't, I don't believe that I've talked to very many people where I've said, what do you think about this? And they've been like, you know, here's what the scripture says. Here's what God says about this. But, but it's like, oh, well, you, did you see this statistic? Well, I could talk to somebody else five minutes later who will give me the exact opposite statistic. Right? And how many scientists in, in our group here have studied it out for ourselves? Zero. We're just taking what man is saying about things, and we're, not, we're, 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 to, be, we're to be engulfed in what does the Word of God say about these things. Being, being pressed into the world's narrative... If the world is writing our narrative today, it's going to be trouble. It's not going to be, at the very least, again, we might say that the world is not writing an evil narrative, it's not writing a a wicked narrative, but we could also say that the world is definitely not writing a biblical narrative. Right? I would think so. So do not be pressed in to this world's mold of thinking. Be careful not to be pressed into this world mold of thinking. But then he says this, but be transformed. It means to be, it's a metamorphosis word. It means to change from a a caterpillar to a butterfly. It means to be completely different in how you think. That means when crisis hits, we think differently than the world does because we've gone through metamorphosis. 
We're no longer worldly. We're now spiritual. We don't judge things according to the world standards. We judge things according to God's standards. Where does it start? He says, be transformed by the renovating or the renewing of your, of your mind. It starts when you, have, when you change the way that you think, when you renovate. How many of you have ever renovated something before, right? What's the first thing that you... I know you're renovating something. I saw some Facebooks. Cole's renovating his backyard a little bit. What's the? And I know that I know that this illustration is going to work. What's the first thing you do when you when you renovate? You demolish. You tear out everything that's there that doesn't belong there, and you get rid of it before you ever start building on that which is healthy, right? Or that which you want to produce. That's what he's saying here. He says. How do you think right about these things? You think right by renovating your mind. You think right by renovating your mind. And the only way to renovate your mind is by taking out, taking out of it what doesn't belong there. I'll, I'll share with you guys a personal illustration. Four, six weeks ago, we went on vacation back to Nebraska, and at that moment, I... I mean, I, we, we had news on in the background at our house. We were watching all of the things going on, and we were pretty, uh, we were pretty discouraged, and we were pretty, um, we were pretty built up or amped up, right, for what we thought was the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it, right? right? Um, when we went on vacation, we decided we're not going to watch the news. We're not going to watch television. We're just going to get away from it for a while. This is six weeks ago. We haven't turned it back on again. You know how much I think about this stuff? None. I mean, I have a burden for people who are struggling. I see things on Facebook, and I pray for people who are, are, show, are, are, are sharing their burdens, but, but I'm not worried about it. The, 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 the news media is not going to tell me what I need to hear. The Word of God is. The news media is not going to tell me how to fix it. There was another, there was another uh, post on Facebook yesterday that said this, There's no mask that's big enough in this world to solve our problems. Jesus is the solving of our problems. This is true, isn't it? It doesn't go away. It doesn't take away from those who want to wear a mask and those who do not want to wear a mask. But masks are not going to fix our problem. Our problem is not coronavirus, folks. Our problem is sin. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. The verse before that says when, when pestilence comes and when sickness comes, it says here is it's all this is coming because of sin. And if God's people will bow their knee before Almighty God and humble themselves in his presence and confess their sins and can repent of their sins, then there will be healing. Here's what we're doing, folks. The danger of what we're doing is trying to protect ourselves from that which God has sent to bring us to our knees. This is where healing comes from. This is where deliverance comes from. We must not allow ourselves to be inundated with the thinking of this world, to have our minds are molded into their, into their theology that divides us and splits us at the very center of who we are as a church. The church isn't split today because of theology. The church is split today more because of how we're handling this crisis in, in an external way and not an internal way. Be transformed by the renovating of your minds. This is the only way that you'll ever be able to live as a sacrifice that is alive. 
Getting things out that don't belong, putting things in that do belong. And then it says that you may prove that you, what is, what is I'm going I'm to just paraphrase this in. It says that you may prove that, um, that, you, by, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By testing you may show what is God's pleasure. In other words, here's what he's saying. Put, put God's way out on display and let it, go to, let it be put to the test. Put God's way on display and let it be put to the test. Because I tell you something, it will always come out well. I, I thought of, as I was thinking about this point, I thought of, the, I thought of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they, when they went into Babylonian captivity. The first thing that they said is, King, we will not eat of your, of your diet. We would like to eat our own diet that our God has given us, and we'll compare at the end of the day. We'll show... We'll show through proving our God, will show what actually works and what actually doesn't work. Can I submit to you that this is our opportunity to do that? It's our opportunity to show the world that our God's way is better. And what better way to do it than for us as Christians to be the forefront, the example of that living. By testing, we may prove what is the pleasure, the word will is used here, but the, the idea of it is the pleasure of God. We may prove what is the pleasure of God. What an opportunity to prove God's pleasure, amen? Philippians 4, turn over there with me, and I want to work through this verse um, just for a few minutes here. I don't know where my time is at, but I want to work through this verse and then give you a closing. The Bible says in verse number 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Would we say this morning that our hearts have been rejoicing in the Lord in this crisis? Would we say, would we be able to honestly say with our hearts, with God saying, God, I know that you have, my heart is totally open to you, so if I speak out of turn, it's going to be a lie. If I speak well, it's going to be right, and you're going to judge me for it. Would we be able to say that we are rejoicing right now in everything? That's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious, which is just another word for worry. Do not be anxious for anything. Can we say that? Can we say that? Lord, I am not anxious about anything. I am not worried about anything. I walk through my days worry-free. what he's calling us to this is how we represent him be anxious for don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving thanksgiving is important because you're trusting God to do what he wills when you pray you get to thank God for what he wills you get to see God's will let your request be made known to all be known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We learned in Romans 12 where does this all begin? How do we how do we get to where we need to be by cleansing our minds, right? Here he tells us that we are that the Lord will guard our hearts and our minds if we will pray makes uh, worship is the word the idea of worship and we will make supplication which is the idea of request to God, thanking him for whatever he decides to do. Now, this is the important verse. Finally, brethren, 
The word finally here just means I've got more to say. Don't stop reading. It's like there's more. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, if there is anything that is worthy of praise, think on these things. It's interesting because this last phrase is written in the imperative mood, which means this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a statement of fact. The Apostle Paul is giving a command to the Philippian people. These are the things that you need to be thinking about. If you want to have a mind that has not been pressed into the mold of this world, you have to determine what goes into it. You have to decide what goes into it. The Lord tells us to every thought that goes to enter into our mind, we're to capture it, and we're then to determine whether or not it's worthy to enter into our minds. Into our minds, just one. We all have them, so they're minds, plural. Are we putting the right things into our minds so that when these crises hit, we are ready to face them in a biblical way? Look at the list. Number one is truth. This word describes objective, provable, honest, and transparent truth. You're to fill your minds with with objective, provable, honest, open truth, transparent truth. Not someone's opinion, not subjective truth, not my truth versus your truth, but you're to fill your mind with that which is truth. Real, true, objective truth. Pilate asked the Lord in John 18, verse 38, because he was completely confused, he asked the Lord what? What is truth? May I submit to you that that's the same question that we're dealing with today. We've gotten so lost in what this person's opinion is of this, and this doctor is saying this, and this doctor is saying this, and you've got this Christian on this side, and this doctor is really, he's really reputable, and this Christian's on this side, and this doctor is really reputable, and what you have is divided Christians over something that is not obviously provable truth. What are you to fill your minds with is provable truth. Truth that has that has evidence to it, truth that is objective. And if someone can come against your truth with as much evidence against your truth, it's just going to challenge your truth and divide your mind. We know the only place that we can get true, objectable truth is where? It's from the Word of God, especially in the culture that we live in today, but, but, but even beyond that. Truth is the first thing. Number two is honorable Things that are honorable are to be put into your mind. Things that are honest, things that are reverential, things that are grave, and things that are are sober. Things that are important, things that matter. These are honorable things. Not dishonorable things, not not lying, not cheating, not not, um, trying to accomplish a certain agenda. None of that fits into this word honorable. This word honorable describes those things that rise above the dishonorable things of this world. Then you have just, righteous, fair, faultless, guiltless, that which is simply right. Justice, the Bible says that we're to love justice. And what type of justice are we to love? We're to love biblical justice. Everybody else, we want to go out and say, well, we should love this kind of justice and this. The only, the only adjective, that's the right word, I'm not a great English, the only adjective 
that should describe justice is biblical justice. Because this is what God's word says. Lovely, it says the next word, or pure. Pure means sacred, chaste, modest, clean, innocent. It means not that which is carnal or worldly. It's that which is, is, is spiritual, that which is, is clean from all of the aspects of this world, untainted, unaffected by the things of this world. How do we know what that is? It's biblical. Lovely, it means friendly. It means things. think on things that are friendly. Think on things that are pleasing, acceptable to people, that are kind. Think on those things. Think on that which is commendable, that which is a, of a good report, something that is spoken well of, something that is reputable. The, the antithesis of this would be gossip, speaking evil of things. He says, he says think on things that are commendable, that good report, things that are excellent, virtuous, morally good, things that are of valor or excellence. You, you see somebody do an act of valor, think on those things, things that are worthy of praise, things that are commendable, things that, are la- are, that we would laud, encouraging each other, lifting each other up. We're to think on these things. The word think here means to, to, um, it means to count, to number. Have you guys ever sang that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One? But I know that's like old, right? An, a goodie, but an oldie, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one. That's what this means. It's like think, think count Make an inventory of all of these good things so that you don't have time to think about all of the worrisome things. Fill your mind with that which is good and, that, and not fill your mind with that which is evil. Or, or, or maybe not even not fill your mind with that which is evil, but that which is suspect. That which we don't know where it's at. Because honestly, we can't trust the people that are saying it. But we can trust God, right? We can trust God. Remember this. The media, the media will often drive you away from these truths. And I'm not talking about a liberal media versus conservative media. I'm talking about media. Media in and of itself is going to make you angry at somebody. It just is. You're going to be angry at somebody because you watched on TV that this, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen, and you're going to walk in to church or somewhere, and someone's not going to be doing that, and you're going to be angry at them. The devil has just divided the church. The media is not going to lead you down the path that leads to all of these things that I've just listed. It's just not. It's just not. The Word of God is. Meditating on the Word of God is the only way that you're going to know how to... Listen, meditating on the Word of God is the only way that you're going to know how to make sense out of this stuff. It's the only way that you're going to be able to walk through this crud and walk with a smile on your face knowing that God is in control of everything. It's the only way. The Word of God has to be our basis for it. In closing, turn with me to one last text, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the text on the resurrection. You're familiar with it, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. The Bible says, verse 55 says, O death, where is your victory? 
O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Okay, so where, where is the sting of death? And when you think about the sting of death, what, is, what do you think that means? What makes death so hard? What makes death so um, something that sparks so much fear and anxiety inside of people? What makes death so fearful? And the question that we have to ask ourselves here is, how has death stung us? Or how does the idea of death sting us every single day of our lives? It says, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, or that, that which makes death so unbearable is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but... Okay, where do we live in this? Do we live after the but or before the but? Do we live where death is stinging us? Or do we live where thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that where we live? Do we live with the Apostle Paul who says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Is that where we live? Do we live where it says he who will save his life will lose it, but he will who will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it? Do we live with the apostles who walked through every day of their lives knowing that it was not only possible but likely that they would die for representing God? Do we live with them? Do we live to where the world would look at us and say, look at the boldness, they have no fear of this. We are representations of God in this moment. God is not being quarantined and will not be quarantined, and nor should his church. We must be bold witnesses of Christ. We must not be foolish witnesses of Christ. We must be bold witnesses of Christ. We must speak. We must speak hope into individuals' lives. When people call us with their struggles, we must speak hope into them. We must speak peace into them. We must speak truth into them. We must help them see Christ in all of these things. Has the sting of death have no power over you because you have tasted death already in Christ? Does the sting of death have no power over you because you have already tasted it with Christ? Or does the sting of death have great power over you to the point where you have neglected your calling, your gifting, and your purpose of representing Christ in this world. Are we so afraid? Folks, we're just getting started, I think. I don't think we're going to be. If you study God's word, you will find that this is not the end of our struggles. If you believe we're going to go through the tribulation which many people do, you know this is not going to be the end of our struggles. Are we going to be ready for it? How are we going to stand in the face of a fourth of the world being killed? How are we going to do it? The only way we're going to do it is where the sting of death has no more power over us. The only way that we can stand in the midst of that type of persecution is going to be by the power of Christ in us. And listen to me, folks. This is just a test. It's a test. It's not a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Right? You know what it's a test of? 
It's a test of where we're at in our faith. Where are we at? Have we considered this morning the impact of quarantining God in the midst of a horrible crisis? Have you thought about this morning what it would look like if we quarantined God in this moment? May I submit to you that we as the church, as his only representative in this world, are in danger of quarantining him. May we refuse. May we stand boldly because we serve the living God who has the power to take life and has the power to give life, has the power to sustain life, has the power to restore life. May we live as if all of that is true. And the power and the sting of death will have no power over us and will live in boldness and in confidence in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the comfort that we get from your word. We thank you for the joy that we can have in the midst of crisis, knowing, Lord God, that we have an eternal hope, a hope that goes beyond this world, that, that is only really uh, elevated when we go into the next life. Lord, help us to live with wisdom, discernment, to be, to be gentle and to be bold, to be uh, wise and to be confident. Help us to have a, an answer for everybody who asks us of the hope that is within us. And Lord God, help us to exude a hope that's worthy of being asked about. Make us a people, Lord, that represent you well. We pray that you will bless this time, bless your word, help it to penetrate our hearts that we might be what you want us to be in Jesus Christ's name.